Are we allowing the cameras on to be on? No one's cameras are on. Yeah, I'm not seeing the cameras. Is, that might be a, sorry. All right, I think we're good. All right, well, let's get started. Good evening, everyone. My name's Dave Cronin, city engineer. I'm here alongside uh, with city staff members, Jenny O'Brien, Jake Baldwin, and Dustin Smith. We will work alongside Pat Clett, the chair, um, to facilitate tonight's meeting proceedings. The meeting is being recorded and broadcast live on the city's YouTube channel and public access channel 25. And during the meeting, when you're not participating, please mute yourself by clicking on the microphone icon found on the lower left-hand side of the Zoom menu next to the video icon. When you're muted, a red line will appear over the icon. Muting your microphone during the meeting will make it easier for everyone to hear. You'll just have to remember to unmute if and when you want to speak. In some cases, we may mute or unmute people as needed to minimize distractions during the meeting. Please remember to state your name and title for the benefit of those listening remotely. You can turn your video on and off by clicking on the video icon on the menu. For the purposes of this public meeting, please keep your video on when you are participating in the meeting. When you are not participating, it is okay to turn your video off. Just remember to turn your video back on when you are participating. If you are participating by phone, you can click star six to unmute your phone. For those using Zoom, somewhere on your screen, you will see a choice to toggle between speaker and gallery view. Speaker view shows the active speaker. Gallery view tiles all the meeting participants. Individuals who registered in advance to provide public comments remotely will be called upon by name. When you are called upon, please unmute your listening device and state your name before speaking. And I will um, turn over the meeting to uh, Chair Person Colette to kick things off. And we'll, I guess we'll start by doing a roll call. But Pat, you want to give everyone a welcome? Uh, sure, sure. Uh, this is Pat Colette, Chair of MMTC. Uh, happy to see everyone here. And uh, we've got, a, I think, a, a really interesting study session planned as well as regular agendas. Um, so we'll start off here with the um, uh, with the roll call. Um, this is Dave Cronus, the engineer. We're having a few technical difficulties with the audio here. I think your audio is working, Pat. We get, okay, but um, we're not hearing it in the room. Oh, okay. give us one sec here. All right. Oh yeah. Audio settings. Audio audio settings. I'll see. Oh, chips. On speaker. Just like the quiet MMGC. Try it now, Pat. Uh, I think you're muted. Can you, can you hear me now? Yes, we can. Okay, great. Would you like to like me to repeat the the welcome? <laughs> that you guys didn't hear it. <laughs> I'll do that. Uh, this is uh, Pat Collette, Chair MMTC, and uh, welcome you to the uh, September first meeting of, uh, of MMTC uh, with both the study session and regular agenda. Um, but before we get started, we'll kick off the um, uh, with a roll call. 
Right. Um, Charlie Bryan. Gregory Critchlow. Here. Present. Okay. Uh, Court Buffington. Here. Steve Evans. Carol Bowen. Nick Kuzmiak. Tom Allen. Aaron Payton. Here. Lauren Freeman. Um, Pat Collette. And David Cronin. This is Charlie Bryan. I'm here now. <laughs> Brian is here. And I also wanted to mention that two of the people on your list are not members of MMTC currently. That's uh, Tom and, um, and Lauren. And that's really Steve noted. Allen. Yeah. And that Steve, uh, Steve Evans may um, join us um, a little bit later. He said he might be late. Great. Thank you. All right, all right, all right. Kill that mic, Dave. Yeah, there's a mic on your screen. Keep the mute button. Or one of us in this room has a mic open. Okay, try again. Okay, one more time, Dave. All right, can everyone hear me? Yep. All right. Um, we're gonna uh, go into the study session now, and I'm gonna let me raise this thing. Might be a little All right. Um, hopefully you can see that. Um, attached a few slides to tonight's study session meeting. To, we're going to talk about crossing improvements in design standards. Um, and that's certainly a, uh, a topic that we could speak um, a lot, spend a lot of time talking about, but I'm going to try to give a high level overview of some of our design standards, um, some um, ongoing work regarding crossing improvements, and then um, maybe discuss some opportunities that are coming up uh, with our planning processes to um, see if we can identify any areas or gaps to uh, to review some of our um, some of our standards. Um, so I wanted to uh, kind of give a really uh, high level overview of some of the um, standards that we use. I've uh, kind of attached here a link to our uh, technical resources website, which has um, information regarding uh, what we require for the preparation of public improvement plans and design criteria, um, as well as standard details and, and our construction specifications, which all kind of tie into um, uh, public improvement work. Um, so in our um, design guide, we reference uh, a number of uh, design guides. I'm going to talk about 
uh, a few of them that we use uh, more often, I guess, uh, these kind of these first four here with the Green Book, uh, the Astro Green Book, the MUTCD, um, and NACTO. But there's several others um, that from time to time we, we reference. Um, and uh, I've kind of listed those here on the screen. I'm not going to go through them uh, all individually, but you can see there's a number of different resources that we use. Um, um, I would point out ProWAG is one that we uh, follow for um, ADA requirements in the right-of-way. So that is one that uh, we frequently reference for um, uh, improvements in the right-of-way regarding uh, ADA. Um, but overall, there's a, a lot of guides out there that, um, that we use uh, when we're developing public improvement plans, particularly related to transportation. And I'm going to kind of give a kind of a high level overview of a, a few of the ones that are that we use pretty frequently. Um, so the Ashto Green Book, it's published by the FHWA. Uh, really, it's the kind of the more technical uh, engineering design guide for uh, design of, of uh, roadways. So whether it's a city street or, or a highway, um, it's really based off of the classification of the street, the type of the facility, uh, the design speed uh, of the road, and it, um, you know, incorporates all um, sorts of public roads, whether it's a highway, rural road, or urban road. Um, also, it uh, discusses, discusses design criteria behind intersections and interchanges. Um, you know, this originally... Um, this guide uh, was really developed around moving vehicles and design of roadways for vehicles um, and and not as much for multimodal facilities. Um, uh, throughout the years, there's been um, progress from AASHTO um, on bike ped design guides. They actually have published uh, a separate bike ped design guide outside of um, what, what we call the Green Book. Um, but it, it kind of speaks to more of design of bike ped facilities. So there's um, um, that, that, that guide is also included our in our list of uh, design guides. But um, that, that's one that is really, it's really technical based and um, probably not uh, one that we want to really dive into with, with this group um, tonight. But one of the things, one of the design guides that we do use a lot is the NACTO. And I know we've, Kind of had some discussions about this previously um, but there are several uh, design guys that NACTO puts out which is the no National Association of City Transportation Officials so it's a much newer uh, guideline or document than the, than the Astro Green book but this um, guide um, they have several different guides the urban street design guide, which uh, speaks to different design elements of, of streets, speed control, which are like traffic calming devices, whether it's a um, speed hump, raised, raised crosswalk, uh, chicanes, um, as well as intersection design. Um, and this is a, a guide that we've used a, a few times in Lawrence um, um, related to uh, like curb bowl bouts like we have uh, downtown and raised crosswalks. And, and so there's, there's uh, um, good examples in that uh, guide that, that we use. Um, also, they uh, published the bikeway design guide. 
um, which is really focused on bicycle facilities, um, bike lanes, cycle tracks, intersection treatments, um, speaks to signings and markings for best practices and things to consider with those and, and bike boulevards. So um, you know, we've used this several times in Lawrence. We're looking at intersections like 21st and Mass that has the, the bicycle crossing with the green pavement marking and the, and the hawk signal um, is, is a good example of um, a project that used uh, guidance from this document, um, Naismith and Crescent as another good uh, location for another good example of an intersection uh, treatment that was done to restrict vehicles, but uh, still allow uh, bicycles and pedestrians to make all movements. Um, and uh, of course, we've done some work on Mass Street um, uh, from 11th to 14th with a green pavement marking and a, and a bike box. Um, so those are some examples of um, uh, design criteria that we've used from, from that, that guide. Um, they also publish a transit street design guide. Um, I don't think we've used that, um, but we are looking into that, uh, the ability to use that more as we, as we improve some of these transit stops around the community. So, um, I know Adam Weigel in our transit, um, uh, office is, is interested in, uh, progressing some of the uh, uh, improvements at bus stops and, and, and there's good guidance in, in that design guide on separating um, interaction with pedestrians getting on and off bus buses versus with uh, um, bicycle facilities. So there might be some opportunities as we go forward um, to start using some, some ideas in that, uh, in that guide. Does anyone, before I keep going, does anyone have any questions? We can, if anyone has any specific questions um, and want, want to have an interactive discussion, we, I'm certainly willing to stop and address those or we can keep going and get them at the end. So if I don't hear anything, we'll just keep going. But all right. Um, so another guide that we do use often is uh, the Manual of Uniform Traffic Control Devices. It speaks to a lot of the traffic control warrants around uh, any signage um, that's installed in the right-of-way, markings, um, temporary traffic control, which is used for um, maintenance of traffic on construction projects, um, and school area traffic control. So those are some of the major highlights or chapters of, of the MUTCD. Um, really, a lot of the MUTCD requirements, there's there's three big things in there that, that guide us. If it's a shall statement, um, then, then that's something that we, that we must follow. Then there's shoulds and mays. So shoulds are, you know, generally recommended. And then mays is, you know, you, uh, up to the uh, engineer's discretion. But you know, example of a shall statement would be um, a stop sign shall be red, an octagon, and and there's different size requirements. So there, there's some technical aspects of that, um, but it is something that we it's uh, we are uh, it's it's a uh, we're legally required to follow um, the shalls in, in that document. But that is um, another example of what we use. Um, and also kind of ties into traffic signals and um, uh, timing and, and crosswalks for pedestrians. But um, 
wanted to kind of talk about a few um, design-related um, things that we're looking at with uh, discussing crossing improvements. So, um, as you know, we've got um, some money set aside this year for green pavement markings. Um, and we are reviewing um, how to apply those to our bike lanes and shared use paths. And we're going to um, uh, work with Alta um, Engineering and Architect Com Company to uh, help us review um, criteria published by the FHWA and NACTO and um, help us create some design criteria for implementing those in the community. And, um, and you know, with that, we're kind of want to look at, um, you know, we've got all sorts of different crossings of shared use paths and bike lanes across streets and driveways. We want to, um, you know, make sure that we can prioritize the locations with the limited funds that we have and also kind of ident identify ongoing maintenance costs to keep any markings that we have up. So that's one of the things that we're pushing for, for with our asset management program for any markings, whether it's um, lane lines, crosswalks, but I think this green pavement marking um, project um, will be important as well to, to help prioritize the funds that we have to, to, to putting in the new um, improvements and then and the maintaining those. So um, we don't currently have any um, guidance on that. So we're kind of looking to get uh, a summary of uh, some best practices that we're going to work with Alta on to, to bring back and start using uh, to help us, to guide us in our implementation of that project. So you will, we will report back on that in the future. So that is, we're just getting going on that project uh, here in the uh, last half of this year. Um, at the end of last year, we kind of had a discussion on um, criteria that we were looking at for uncontrolled intersection crossings. Um, I think this is something that we uh, know that we've kind of wanted to have uh, on some guidance on for a while. We've been uh, following best practices when we when we do um, improvements at uncontrolled intersections. Um, for example, the 7th and Tennessee crossing with the uh, RRFB and, and the bullbout was an example. Um, but there's uh, some guidance that we are looking at with the Federal Highway STEP uh, program, which is safe uh, transportation for every pedestrian is what that acronym stands for, but that provides some good guidance. And a lot of communities have used that in different ways to create flow charts. And so um, I know we talked about that towards the end of last year, and that is something still on our to-do list to bring back and kind of more formalize um, how we want to recommend design improvements for uncontrolled crossing. So um, that's really focused on a few things of the number of lanes, the speed and the volume of the street would help drive some of the recommendations, whether it's marked crosswalks, signage, um, rectangular rapid flashing beacons, those hawk signals, or any other geometric improvements, which include could include um, curb bulb outs or um, reducing the length of the uh, uh, crosswalk.
So I wanted to talk a little bit about some upcoming planning work and maybe how some of the um, some of these discussions can interact with that work. Um, we are, uh, as you know, getting ready to update our pedestrian plan. We have a couple of um, MMTC uh, commissioners that have volunteered to help um, be on that steering committee. Um, the scope of that um, plan is still in development, so we're going to be working with um, the steering committee to help develop that scope and then doing a lot of public outreach in the community on, on that plan update. I'd, I'd certainly expect, you know, some discussion on prioritization of crossings, uh, identifying um, where crossings are needed, and, and then tying in um, the need to have uh, some guidance on treatments in that in that plan. So I think for for you know the previous slide with uncontrolled crossings, I think there's a good technical criteria out there on how to apply it, um, and I think that will be I would expect that to be an action from uh, of this pedestrian plan update uh, in in regards to crossings and, and design criteria, and I think um, that will be uh, something that we'll be discussing. Um, and then review of any other design criteria for pedestrian improvements, um, you know, could be identified through that planning process. Um, I mentioned uncontrolled crossings. Um, I think, uh, you know, there's from um, what I've heard from in previous conversations, there's been questions or concerns or ideas about um, should we uh, be looking at making improvements at crossings at controlled intersections, signalized controlled intersections, um, larger intersections. And I think um, that could certainly be something that um, is discussed with that planning work. And, and that would be uh, uh, important to, to have a, a public process on because there's going to be some, there could be some competing interests with that um, because um, a lot of uh, improvements at uh, or safety improvements for pedestrians at at signalized intersections may um, necessitate reducing um, capacity uh, for vehicular movements or changing signal timing or eliminating lanes. And so there's um, certainly um, things um, you know in that regard that that could be discussed with that uh, pedestrian plan. And I think there could be some opportunities there. Um, through that through that planning work to, to look at that. Um, also, the uh, transportation land use best practice study, which is um, getting underway here soon, um, kind of looks at a high level at some of our street classifications, but that also ties into discussions that we've had about street width um, and um, whether it's uh, arterial streets, collector streets, or local streets, um, the classification of that street uh, drives the, the minimum width of those streets in our, in our standards. Um, and, um, you know, I think with that, with that, with that uh, plan, um, looking at access management and parking, parking drives a lot of street widths in some areas. So I think there's some um, opportunity through that through that work to see if there's anything that uh, we need to change in our in our standards or in our uh, 
design or design elements that we want to start including in in uh, in projects. So, um, wanted to mention that, and I think those two upcoming plans um, kind of relate in a way to some of the uh, discussion with um, uh, crossing improvements and 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 design standards and design criteria. Um, so with that, I didn't have anything else. Um, we still have a good half an hour for questions or comments or any thoughts that anyone ha has. And I know uh, Jake and Dustin here, and I think Jessica's on the line as well to help answer any questions you have on either of these areas or both. Pat, I think you're this, yeah, this is uh, Pat Collette, Chair of MMTC. Any questions or comments from commissioners on this on this material? Uh, Charlie. Commissioner uh, Brian, MMTC. I was interested in hearing a little more about the transportation impact study guidelines, the uh, reference documents that you directed us to show that it was updated in 2020. And I see it's a 10-step process now, or more than 10, actually. But it used to be, uh, I think, seven or eight or something. So I was wondering if you might be able to give us some of the background and what was changed and how that's helped our community. Uh, this is Dustin Smith with MSO. Um, so we, we did uh, publish our transportation impact study guidelines in 2020 and uh so there still is the the seven step study that's kind of the the starting point for all development redevelopment projects are are the seven steps that we've we've heard that are actually you know fairly industry standard but then the expanded um kind of full-blown study that's that's triggered when you um generate more than 100 trips in the peak hour that's that's where the additional I, I don't remember how many steps you said so that looks like that, 11 yeah so that's the kind of just providing more detailed guidance of, of what we're expecting when we see those uh, traffic studies so we can evaluate the impacts I, I what my curiosity is is this a step toward the idea of a multimodal traffic impact or transportation impact study. The step 10 involves pedestrian, bicyclist, transit, and truck considerations. This is Dave Cronin, city engineer. Um, th the study is really guided to what improvements are necessary on, on street for, um, for intersections or 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 access or safety um we we do ask for them we do ask for the study to um include a review of transit improvements bicycle improvements and pedestrian improvements because 
Um, although some of those aren't necessarily required in the subdivision regulations, um, there are, we, we do expect that the traffic engineer performing the study um, at least address the improvements that are being made uh, in those areas. So I don't know if it necessarily, you know, gets to your question on a multimodal study. Um, it's still primarily geared towards um, what requirements are needed for development to um, to mitigate traffic on 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 the existing roadway or what improvements will be needed in the future to accommodate traffic what i'm trying to figure out is i know a few years ago the city was or the mpo was interested in trying to kind of expand the typical study so that it was more inclusive of all modes and i don't believe that that got funded like in 2018 and I'm just curious where we're, where we are with that, and if if this impact study update from 2020 reflected any of that aspiration, and if so, then what's the impact it's had, or has anybody actually done a full blown study that involves all modes? This is Dave Cronin, city engineer. <clears throat> um, we haven't had a really many full-blown studies in the last year or two. Okay. So I, I can't, you know, we, we just yeah, published this last year. We had a, a lot of the information in there is pretty typical traffic-related studies that were being performed already, trip generation, distribution trip distribution we had included um the that step on uh pedestrian bicycles and transit to be included i wouldn't say it necessarily would re replace um the the mpo study that was not funded but it i think it made an it's it's there to improve for an for an improvement so make sure that at a minimum it's being looked at um, and that um, um, that we expect to, that that would be included in any traffic in, in the scope of any traffic study that a development would submit. Thank you for that. Sorry, everyone. I got my internet got disconnected, and I I couldn't get back in. Well, we um, this is Dave Cronin. We were yeah, Pat. We were just talking about traffic impact studies, but um, if there's any other questions on that or anything else that we presented, we're Okay, any other comments? I have a I have a couple of questions. I guess you know, I'm thinking about this uh, about this study session. What I was really looking for was to see if you know, you mentioned the um 
the um, developing standard procedures for uncontrolled intersections that happened, I guess, at the end of last year and, and the discussion about it. And uh, that was what I was kind of looking for on controlled intersections as well. I know, you know, I'm familiar with all of the different uh, guidance that exists out there, but I guess, you know, from the perspective of the commission, um, you know, when, uh, you know, project comes to us, what, you know, how are we, how are we looking at that with, you know, melding all of those different, different um, documents and, you know, looking at the, at the bikeway plan again, there's, there's some pretty good guidance in there, but I don't know if that has the, has the strength of policy uh, when it comes to these decisions and the design of, of intersections are really what I'm really talking about, I guess, that are side path and, and, um, and a shared use path um, at, at intersections. So really for, for bike way, for, for bikes and pedestrians and how those are treated um, uh, when they're redesigned or, you know, when improvements are made. And so just whether or not there exists a policy, is that, or is that something that as a commission we can work on as far as developing those those policies or, or in your view, do they, do they already exist as a policy? Yeah. Dave Cronin's the engineer. <clears throat> uh, we, we do not have a policy on crossing of, of bike facilities at signalized intersections or, or unsignalized intersections. But I think that could be the, um, something that is, you know, maybe discussed with, with either the land use best practice or the pedestrian plan. So shared use path is, is a bike facility and a pedestrian facility, but I think whether it's a shared use path or a sidewalk crossing a controlled intersection, a signalized intersection, <clears throat> that could be uh, specifically reviewed or uh, with the pedestrian plan. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, both the pedestrian plan and the bikeway plan, I think in terms of the content there and, you know, how those are, um, you know, what that, what that policy might look like or how, it, how it gets to the level of, you know, so it's, you know, when you've got an, you know, a project coming up and you're looking at that intersection and, you know, what thresholds, you know, so it's more prescriptive, I guess, you know, as far as prioritizing uh, the kinds of improvements that should be made when there's a certain traffic volume, crash rate, uh, level of comfort, all of, all of those elements that would go into prioritization uh, for particular design aspects in that, in that intersection with, with the interaction with bike ped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so far we just, we use the level of comfort from the bike plan to decide the facility, but we don't have a level of comfort measure or any criteria for, for intersections. So let me, can I interject here for a second? Cause the, the Jessica Mortinger transportation planning manager, the bike plan also does have a criteria checklist that's in it that has some of the things that you're mentioning, uh, Pat, about crossings. Mm -hmm. um, it was taken, it was something that we got from Alta and they allowed us permission to use. And I'm trying to pull it up to kind of share with you. So while that is not 
codified, that's the design. Those are those are guide guidelines options, mm-hmm. kind of for for a design guide, mm-hmm. and those are that that implementation of that really comes down to in the design process, I think, um, of how that gets carried out. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? As in terms mm-hmm. of if it's included within the scope of the project and how that's happening, because there is in that, both in the design guide we have, where it talks about within each element, how you handle certain intersections. Right. And there is also a, um, I'm trying, sorry, I'm still trying to find it. So, and then I'm going to share with you all. So I think some of this exists and maybe that's where it, there just needs to be a little more study. So here, hopefully you can see, I have the bike plan pulled up and I'm in the design guide section called intersection and conflict zone treatments. Mm -hmm. So there is a bunch of guidance in here around crossing design. And there are some standards based on like which type of bikeway they, some, in some cases it talks about in the, uh, in each design, each category of bikeway type, which types of crossings or improvements are, are acceptable. So more than that, it's not prescriptive, just like every other, you know, just like the bikeway types aren't prescriptive in the plan. It's really context sensitive. And so we kind of perceived that as needing to be determined um, often when you're doing design, right? And so there is also a table and I was trying to find that because I don't hear, this is exactly like what you were talking about, I think a little bit. So this has speed and volume. um, And here you can see where it recommends which type of crossing. This is the pedestrian crossing guidance, but many of this can also apply to bikes. And this this is the similar to that step um, document that Dave was previously talking about, but it's in the plan where it talks about which crossing treatments are desirable versus not recommended versus engineering judgment based on the lane types um, and the speed. So and some of this is, exists in guidance uns- already. Uns- unsignalized intersections. Yes. These so, are unsignalized, these are you said? Yeah, this is at unsignalized intersections. That's okay. what he's saying right okay. here. For Yeah. Oh, right. I see it there. Yeah. But there's not a similar thing for signalized inter- intersections. No, I think that's the that's the topic I think that we've we're hearing that you have interest in mm-hmm. talking about and that's the one where we have because it's already signalized it doesn't none of these improvements would be appropriate at it right because it already mm-hmm. would have a crosswalk it could ideally under design it should have you know push button beacon and if it's integrated with shared use path what does that mean we obviously use the new NACTO standards um, MSO did when they designed the 21st in mass uh, bike crossing. So that would be a good example of, you know, we did an improvement at an unsignalized place by putting in a signal that has special things. So the NACTO guide for signalized intersections has things like specific bike crossings and bike boxes. And we've used those in a few instances, mm-hmm. um, but there isn't, that guidance exists, but it's not, a, it's not a checklist like this. It's more about its design criteria that can be chosen when a project is implemented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I brought up to to Dave as an example, I guess, and I just remember, I think, when I was first came on the commission and the um, um, and the intersection at uh, or the you know the work at um, Clinton Parkway and um, Castle was completed, and I remember Commissioner Payton making the comment, 
you know, the intersection feels a lot different <laughs> than what they were seeing on the plans along the way. And, you know, and I agree with that, you know, and it's like when you're looking at that intersection and, you know, the comfort, you know, what it takes for a pedestrian or a bicyclist to go through that intersection uh, is pretty daunting. And um, so I'm, I'm just curious how we can, what we can do to move that process forward so that, you know, before the work gets done, that we're, that, you know, that we're looking at each element to ensure that, you know, not only, you know, sufficient traffic is able to travel through automobile traffic, but also that it's a safe intersection for bike ped. Yeah. So thinking about speed and volume, which are going to be higher at those intersections because those are arterial streets. And Mm -hmm. then also probably just turning movements, right? We've made strategic design decisions for automobiles to add double left turn lanes or right turn lanes and how the signal control operates in terms of what it allows for crossing time at some of those or probably many of those considerations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm in the process of teaching my 16-year-old grandson to drive. (laughs) We go through that intersection and there's a lot of effort, you know, you realize how much information, you know, a driver needs to have and what they're seeing um, to make sure they don't, you know, that they're not, there aren't collisions with, with bike ped, let alone, you know, let alone other cars, but, um, you know, just, you know, really interested in how we can, and, and at what point we see those kind of checklists, I guess, so that, you know, when we're looking at a project and, and recommending that it go forward, that we know, you know, that we know what elements have been looked at and what, what, possibilities could be there. Yeah, this is Dave Cronin, the engineer. Well, I think the the existing checklist that we have to, to review, um, that would be our complete streets checklist. So it may not specifically say intersection, signalize intersection improvements, but it but it has a checklist that includes the narrower driving lanes, um, pedestrian facilities, crosswalks, sidewalks, um, mid-block crosswalks, um, some of those treatments. So that would, that's what we have today. Um, Mm -hmm. so that's kind of the, that's the design checklist or interaction between the development of these plans that we bring to you and, and your, uh, review of complete streets elements, whether it's traffic calming or bike ped facilities. Um, so that's what we have uh today um with so. the um, you mentioned the alta study um and you, you haven't scoped that yet but um do you anticipate that that could be a you know since they've done a lot of work in that area that that's you know in terms of developing that design guide for for both controlled and uncontrolled intersections could be a part of that work or is that is that really beyond the scope? <clears throat> um, Dave Cronus, the engineer. Well, currently we're working on the scope for the green pavement marking mm. um, project. So it, it it probably more ties into using green pavement marking for um, s- shared use paths or side paths crossing uh, side streets or driveways um, or 
green pavement marking at intersections, which it could include signalized intersections. Um, so that could certainly evolve. We could, I think the next step it would be to come up with some prioritization for that those improvements. So I think, I think at first we're trying to have get some help on reviewing standards and guidance and best practice. And then um, if there's any gap that um, for that project or through any of these other planning projects that we see the need to look into a little more, we're certainly open, open to do that. Like we are interested in moving safety forward and looking for ways to do that. And we've got some good, things in the toolbox, but there's certainly some other things out there that uh, we're interested in seeing if there's things that we don't know about or other policies specific to signalized intersections, which may necessitate um, changing signal timing that doesn't prioritize vehicles. Um, so a lot, we're trying to balance, balance everything, it's safety, costs, and movement of people via all devices. So we've done a lot of work with signal optimization um, with a synchronization plan. We've, we're doing some, we've uh, done a review of crosswalk timing with that. So there's been some improvements to allow more timing for pedestrians to cross. So I think that's important as well. Um, but we're also um, trying to move vehicles as well. So it's a balance. Um, and I think if we're looking at making additional safety improvements at signalized intersections, you know, we're in, we're, we would need to have a conversation on that could lead to reducing um, capacity for vehicles or increased delay because that could include shorter crossings or, uh, changes to the signal timing. It's very complex. I wish there was an easy answer. I really do. Um, um, it's so. I guess this is Pat Collette, Chair MMTC. Um, I guess one question I have would be, is there something that we as a commission can do to help move that that process forward you know as far as um more more guidelines or um or is it really sequenced do you think with we've got the pedestrian plan and also the best practice uh, on street design uh, studies coming up is that something that you would see um coming out of that process to you know updating the pedestrian plan the um the best practices and then moving um, moving forward with some some more prescriptive design guidelines, and you know, I, yeah, online there are several examples of. Uh, particularly, I think it came out of state DOTs, but it was you know, and that a lot of them were done by um, not Alta, but a couple of other of the you know the consultants that are involved in, in bike ped planning, and um, so pretty comprehensive design guide with a lot of that kind of information. And so, you know, it seems like that'd be something that we could draw on um, as a as an aid to moving something forward. But um, 
I don't know if there's, you know, a sequence that you see would work best, but either Dave or Jessica, whether you see that as making more sense. This is Dave Cronin, that's the engineer. I think the pedestrian plan is a good opportunity for discussion on crossings, um, whether it's uncontrolled or controlled. Um, I think um, we have a lot of, we, had, we know we want to make improvements in on crossing on crossings and identify and prioritize where we want to um, make improvements. And I know that that kind of ties into our non-motorized project prioritization uh, plan a little bit on identifying those crossings and scoring them and, and putting in the improvements. Um, so I think there's, that's my opinion. Jessica, do you have any additional thoughts on opportunities for through the planning process? Um, Jessica Martin, your transportation planning manager. So we're trying to scope all of that work and just to figure out what actually is going to be realistic to accomplish in the workload. And so um, we're going to keep tackling those issues. I think Dave's right that a lot of the crossing stuff we're going to try to address in the pedestrian plan, particularly prioritizing and identifying some crossings to be evaluated, likely unsignalized crossings to be evaluated for crossing improvements to be added to a future prioritization list um, that you guys evaluate for future improvements, like for implementation, um, and also a process to do that more systematically um, with some of that uh, looking at the step and making considerations for those improvements, probably similar to the checklist that's in the bikeway plan. Um, we can, we'll go back through and evaluate that again um, as we go through this process. But um, the signalized stuff, I think, you know, I think we're, we'll have to figure out, we can keep talking about it. I think we can talk about it in terms of the scope. I'm not, we can see if there's appropriate things to fit in, in terms of the scope or recommendations we can make in terms of best practices. Um, it does get into some more challenging issues. It's not like like the other crossing at unsignalized, those are pretty standalone crossing projects that are pedestrian projects. Um, so you can fit them within the street design. The other conversation about changes at signalized in intersections have a lot larger conversation as part of, you know, uh, this, you know, the long range transportation plan in terms of level of service that's delivered and how that's conventionally calculated to automobiles and the considerations with delay, which also then has environmental impacts. And so there's larger conversations, I think, that have to happen too, as part of that. It's not just a prioritized pedestrians conversation. It's prioritize pedestrian safety, but here's the boatload of other values that come along with that in terms of making a transportation system multimodal, which in the, rea in the reality of that does include a lot of cars. And that's how the majority of people travel in our community. And so I, while I think those things are things we can have, I think they're going to have to be big conversations about how, how the city probably in the future decides if they want to redesign how they, you know, uh, handle those intersection improvements that also have lots of benefits to safety for all users. So I'm not sure yeah. how much of that will fit in the pedestrian scope. Yeah, this is Dave Crone, city engineer. I wanted to add, we did reach out to KDOT um, as they're working on their active transportation plan and kind of asked them if um, they had any um, update on design criteria they were considering for, for pedestrian uh, crossing improvements and um, I think they were hoping to have um, some toolkits 
with their with their crosswalk policy and some and some guidance document based off the FHWA step countermeasures. But again, I think those those countermeasures are mainly geared towards uncontrolled crossings. So I don't know what what maybe uh, they may include for uh, crosswalks at signalized intersections. But um, that that you know may may help. Uh, us tie on to recommendations or things that they are reviewing with that statewide active transportation plan. Okay, thank you. I'd like to open it up to uh, public comment. Uh, looks like Michael Almond has his hand raised. Would you like to make a comment, Michael? Uh, yes, good evening, Michael Almond. Um, guess I'm speaking for myself tonight. Um, I'd like to point out a few things here. First of all, uh, as the commission learned discussing the, 19, the East 19th Street project, that what is listed on slide number two tonight, standard detail sheets, um, those are not set in stone. Mm -hmm. uh, they're what the city engineer decides to include from all the various resources at his disposal, whether it's NACTO or ASHTO or MUTCUD or any of a number of things. He selects what he wants to put in those design details. So keep in mind that when you're working on some guidelines for intersections or other projects, um, that you have quite a bit of latitude for selecting different specifications. It's not locked in by, um, by code, by shells, for example. Um, as far as uncontrolled intersections, um, one thing that you need to be considering, I would think, would be cycle tracks, which are dedicated to cycles and not pedestrians and not something appropriate to be considered in the pedestrian plan. Um, I, I, I hesitate to, to think that you know, if you want to work up bicycle guidelines for intersections, as, as Chair Collette has pointed out, policies or whatever, um, it needs to be addressed independently um, in concert with pedestrian, but not within the context exclusively of a pedestrian plan. It should be covered um, both in the bicycle perspective and the pedestrian perspective. Um, one reason I say that is that Bicycles will be approaching an intersection at, well, probably two or three times the speed of a pedestrian. So it's much less likely that a motorist will see them, um, you know, out of the periphery um, or over their shoulder or whatever. So Jessica Mortinger pointed out in one of her first illustrations there, protected intersections. That's a good example of how you increase the visibility at intersections, particularly for bicyclists that are approaching rapidly. Um, so I hope you consider that as part of your, in, in your scope. Um, that would cover like intersection radius, which is an issue that Commissioner Bowen has brought up many times. Um, and then finally, um, I noticed that the city, began yesterday, apparently, um, the pavement markings rehabilitation project uh, to upgrade 
a lot of and restore a lot of the pavement markings around roundabouts near schools at intersections, what have you. Um, I would like to ask the engineer if he would um, fill us in on, I hope he's not putting the cart before the horse, that there are 151 intersections funded at the, in 2020 by the city commission for green pavement markings, as you probably know. And that is to be installed this year. It's, it's this year's budget. How does that fit into this uh, intersection pavement improvement upgrade go? It, uh, if you don't have your green pavement design standards yet, what are you gonna be doing with these intersections? They're supposed to be marked with green pavement. And the project uh, in the capital improvement plan specifies that those primarily are going to be two foot by 10 foot green bars spaced on, uh, I think it's four foot centers. I'd have to go back and look. So I'd like to have the, street, the city engineer, if he would, tell us more about both of those projects. Thank you. Sure, this is Dave Cronin, city engineer. In regards to the green pavement marking project, uh, you know, I mentioned we're working on looking at the how to, how and where to apply those um, and what the best practice is. So we have not determined the locations or the material or any of the details on that project yet, but we're looking to move that forward here this year and um, and uh, proceed with that project. Um, Dustin might be able to speak better to the pavement marking project that's going on, but overall we're restoring all sorts of markings, as Mr. Allman mentioned, at roundabouts and and um, crossings around schools. So that's mainly geared towards existing, restoring existing crosswalks, existing uh, long lines, yield lines, all sorts of markings that would not um, would not negate improvements for green pavement for a crossing. So I think it's. They're, they would be comp two separate, completely separate projects. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Dustin Smith, the uh, MSO. Yeah. The, the, the pavement marking rehab project that started this week is maybe more accurately described as a, a maintenance project. It's restoring the existing pavement markings to, you know, a, a new condition. And and all of the the locations included in that project are locations where the the pavement markings are in bad shape and and we're coming through and replacing them. So and as Dave mentioned, that doesn't negate any of those locations possibly being included with the the green pavement marking project when we when we get those guidelines developed and 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 get that project implemented. Great, thank you, I appreciate that. Any other questions or comments from commissioners? They're getting close to our end of our study session here. So if anyone would like to make some final comments before we uh, adjourn to the regular meeting. 
I don't see any, so um, we'll, um, it's uh, 6.01, so let's adjourn to 6.10. Uh, we'll start our regular meeting. Uh, thanks, Dave and Jessica and Dustin for, uh, for this study session. It's got a lot of good information in it for us to kind of help, help move forward. It's 6.10. I think we're ready to, to get started as soon as everyone gets back here. It's like we're just waiting for Dave. Are you, Dave? Are you there? Or yep, I'm here. Okay, okay. I saw your uh, your picture there. It didn't look like you were here. <laughs> okay, great. I think we're ready to get started. Um, uh, this is uh, Pat Collette, Chair MMTC, calling the uh, regular meeting of uh, MMTC uh, September 1st to order. Um, I'd like to start off with uh, roll call. Right, Charlie Bryan. Here. Gregory Critchlow. Here. Court Buffington. Here. Steve Evans. Carol Bowen. Nick Kuzmiak. Aaron Payden. Here. Patricia Collette. Here. And David Cronin. All right, here. We have a quorum. Okay, great. Thank you. Okay, the uh, first uh, item on the agenda is to approve the minutes from the August 2nd meeting. Um, has everyone had a chance to read through those and see if there are any needs for corrections or additions? If there are none, I'd entertain a motion to approve. This is Commissioner Bryan. I move to approve the August 2nd minutes. Thank you. Uh, do I hear a second? A second from Aaron Payton. Okay. Um, all in favor? Um, raise your hand. I think we can do that with, with this one. Okay. All right. Got it. Thanks. All yep. right. 5-0. Okay. Thank you. Um, okay. Uh, I'd like to uh, call for any public comment. Is there anyone who would like to make a comment, either in person or on the Zoom call? 
This is Dave Cronus, the engineer. There's no one here in person. Looks like we've got Mr. Almonds raised his hand. Okay. Michael, would you like to go ahead and make a comment? Hi. Yes, I would. Thank you very much. Uh, Michael Allman with Sustainability Action Network. Um, last May, um, in the context of the annual street maintenance uh, program that the city upgrades streets every year, there was a discussion that focused on the white stripe bicycle lanes, as you probably recall. And uh, Sustainability Action Network pointed out that we don't find them useful, uh, effective, uh, economic, um, or safe. And since then, I have met with and discussed this with any number of commissioners in the Multimodal Transportation Commission, as well as four of the city commissioners. Um, cut to the chase. Basically, uh, I'd like to see some kind of a policy that would uh, make it clear that the white stripe bicycle lanes no longer are the default when nothing else is specified. And pretty much everyone, well, I, I should say everyone I've talked to thinks this is worth discussing and quite a few feel that that kind of a policy is called for. Um, Mayor Finkeldye, for instance, said on the 19th of May, yes, I think this is something the bicycle committee and or multimodal should take up as a policy change. Thanks for working on it. So I, I would like to see that this be something initiated by the Multimodal Transportation Commission, because that's what the mayor has indicated should happen. That's what Commissioner Boley has indicated should happen. That's what Vice Mayor Shipley has indicated should happen. And Commissioner Lisa Larson as well, that if this is a policy discussion, it should originate at the Multimodal Transportation Commission and they would like to see that policy. So that's what I'm asking for. In addition, there are a couple other policies. The green pavement markings policy is one that may or may not be moot at this point. I'm curious to see what comes of um, Mr. Cronin's exploring the different design standards. But standards, as I said before, optional. You know, policies are a little stronger. Uh, and it should be something that is, is clearly indicated um, as we move forward. So that's a potential policy discussion. And the third one that Commissioner, City Commissioner Boley has talked about on a number of occasions, including the multimodal transportation uh, retreat, was what he called the Oregon stop or the bicyclist yield stop. Um, so those are three policies that I would think um, are worthy of discussion and I would hope that the Multimodal Transportation Commission would move them forward and initiate them. Uh, so that's basically what I wanted to mention and I appreciate your time and your work. Thank you, Michael.
And I think what I, excuse me, I think what I meant was that this would be something for a, a study session to start with. Thanks. Thanks, Michael. Um, we'll move on to the uh, first agenda item under D, consider recommending approval of the revised 2022-26 five-year plan projects. Is that, um, is that Jake? Yes, good evening, Chair and Commissioners. Uh, Jake Baldwin, Engineering Program Manager for MSO. Um, yeah, tonight I'm presenting a revision to our previously approved five-year plan for non-motorized projects. Um, this revision was brought about after the City Commission voted to defer the approval of the five-year plan back in July uh, because uh, the recommended capital improvement plan includes a multimodal improvement project along Massachusetts Street in 2024 in the same area as a pedestrian project, um, P012, um, in 2022 of our five-year plan. That project in particular is on the west side of Massachusetts Street between 23rd and 21st Street. The City Commission did not um, want that project, P012, included uh, in the five-year plan, knowing the larger project was scheduled uh, to produce these improvements in 2024. So uh, with this change in mind, staff is asking for approval of a revised five-year plan, and uh, that uh, includes the following changes. Um, number one is the removal of that project, P012, uh, from 2022. Again, that's Massachusetts from 23rd to 21st Street on the west side. We're going to move project P197 from 2022, pardon me, from 2025 to 2022. That's Main Street on the east side from 6th Street to 4th Street. So again, we're taking out P12 and we're moving P197 into that slot that P12 occupied. And then the third change is to add project P263 um, to the year 2025 in the five-year plan. That's going to be the south side of West 21st Street from Tennessee to Louisiana. Um, that project was added to the plan because of its high score in the non-motorized projects prioritization policy project list, um, as well as being on a safe route to school and um, also having a project budget that fits in with the available funding um, due to this shift. Um, these revisions will not affect the change in equity uh, within the five-year plan um, as the removed project and the new project are directly adjacent to each other. Um, in, in addition to um, asking for approval of this revised five-year plan. Um, we're also asking um, for direction to incorporate the scoring of equity um, into the non-motorized project prioritization policy. And it would be staff's recommendation um, to utilize transportation disadvantaged populations metric that was used recently in the approved data-driven process for prioritizing sidewalk repairs with the sidewalk improvement program. So um, in summary, staff is asking for um, approval for the revised five-year plan, as well as um, direction on including equity within the non-motorized projects prioritization policy. Um, and that uh, basically wraps up the information I was gonna present tonight. So I'd be happy to take any questions you have at this point. Thanks. Uh, thank you, Jake. This is uh, Pat Collette, MMPC chair. I did want to, to uh, bring to everyone's attention um, the equity impact statement that has been added to the agenda item report. Um, they were also added, they actually started last um, last month and I failed to, to call those call those out, but I wanted to make sure everyone has noticed that within the intent, you know, per our discussions on equity is to add that statement to, to each of the agenda items uh, in, into the future. Um, 
the Equity Impact Committee met uh, this week, and I, uh, I don't know, Charlie or or uh, Gregory, would you like to to uh, make any comments on this, and also on Jake's um, uh, request for consideration on the uh, on the scoring? This is Commissioner Brian, MMTC. Well, I appreciate the addition of the map to show us visually where these projects are located in relation to the transportation disadvantaged population score. Uh, I'll just note that the addition of P263 is in an area that had a relatively low uh, transportation disadvantaged population score. It's in the less than or equal to two. I'm not sure that's consequential to us tonight, but I just <clears throat> think as we look at these projects that are on our prioritization list and think about how they're scoring with our current policy, it does not, that current policy doesn't consider where the project is located in relation to these disadvantaged areas. Gregory Critchlow, uh, MMTC Commissioner. Uh, I, I believe we're referring to a document that we reviewed uh, this past Monday during our equity uh, meeting. I think having those comments is made possible by the, the uh, document that has been provided, which has been uh, pretty extensive and uh, showing the ratings of the equity, uh, equity uh, transit equity within the uh, areas that we're speaking of and i think that was one of the really kind of very helpful understanding um, pieces of our meeting on monday and then uh, what we had talked about in terms of the classifications uh specifically to what a um i believe it was called a, a equitable or transit environment of something of that nature but just the classification between what is and what is not um, and i think as we move forward uh, cross-referencing these documents as, as a new policy is implemented and looking at these projects. Yeah, this is uh, Pat Collette, Chair. Um, you know, Jessica provided at that meeting on Monday provided a, you know, pretty in-depth discussion about the transportation disadvantage score. And I think the committee, the subcommittee is looking at, you know, the how that could be incorporated into more specific um, guidance as far as prioritization on projects to make sure that that, that equity score represents, um, uh, you know, really represents the need in the, in the community and that moving, maybe in this discussion, moving away from the environmental justice uh, rating, which as she mentioned was yes, no, and as a, as a federal requirement, but this is with transportation disadvantage, a little more nuanced um, that can give us a better sense of projects and how they, um, you know, how they are distributed throughout the community. Is that is that a fair representation, Jessica? <laughs> in terms of 
Yeah, Jessica Martinger, Transportation Planning Manager. And I'm happy to explain or answer or show any of our reference guides for transportation disadvantaged populations or environmental justice zones if anybody is interested in hearing more about that to be reminded of that as you have this conversation. Great, thank you. And I think, you know, the upshot of all of that is that the, the Equity Committee is still will continue to meet uh, to refine um, you know, that, that guidance um, to be presented to the commissioner, uh, to the commission um, at a later date. I, I know at least another couple of meetings are planned to, uh, to kind of, um, you know, develop that into a more uh, complete guidance for, for us as commissioners. So with that, if there aren't any questions about um, about either the, um, well, I guess, Jake, could you uh, just kind of reiterate the, um, you know, what the action is that you would like in terms of the, of the uh, equity score and, and moving that into the prioritization, kind of exactly how, how you're wanting us to look at that? Uh, Jake Baldwin, Engineering Program Manager. Um, I think the action would be to direct staff to incorporate equity into the non-motorized Projects prioritization policy, and um, if the commission um, wants that to be transportation disadvantaged populations per the staff recommendation, I think that should be part of the action. This is Dave Crunch, the engineer. If I just, I just want to make sure we clarify this. Um, so I think the action we want to get the approval of the revised plan tonight, but then also I would say if we could, if you wanted to include an action on the intent to revisit the policy next year, next spring, um, to include a review of including equity scoring into the policy prior to our um, 2023 to 2027 proposal. So I think, um, we don't necessarily need to say that we're going to use this method tonight, but just to have the intent that we intend to include that before we bring back the next uh, five-year plan next spring. That helps. That helps. Thank you. Okay, so I think we'll have, um, first we'll have a uh, vote on the uh, revisions to the, um, um, on, to the, the current plan to make those three revisions suggested in the five-year plan. Um, do I have a motion to approve? Do we have any public comment? Um, I don't see any. This is Dave Cronin, engineer. We didn't, we don't have anyone present uh, for public comment and no one has signed up, but you can see if there is anyone online that would like to provide public comment. Sure. Is there um, anyone online that would uh, like to provide public comment on this, on this topic? Okay, I don't, don't see any. <clears throat> this is Commissioner Brian, MMTC. I recommend approval of the revised 2022-26 five-year plan for non-motorized projects. Thank you. Is there a second? A second from Aaron Hayden, 
Commissioner Payton. All right. Um, all in favor, we'll have a uh, roll call for this. Right. Gregory Critchlow. Yes. Okay. Court Buffington. Yes. And Aaron Payton. Yes. Patricia Collette. Yes. Motion carried. Thank you. Okay, then on a on a uh, second item, um, um, a motion to direct staff to um, look at including uh, an equity measurement in um, in the uh, when we look at the 2023-27 five-year plan, um, either with transportation disadvantage or some other. Um, measurement of that, of equity. Is there a motion? How about so moved? <clears throat> I think we're just looking for the wording for it. Yeah, yes. <clears throat> yeah. Right. Okay. So, Commissioner um, Bryan moved. Um, and is there a second? Court Buffington, MMTC second. Okay. Thank you. Uh, can we have a uh, roll call, please? Right. Um, Gregory Critchlow? Yes. And Aaron Payton? Yes. And Patricia Collette? Yes. Motion carried. Thank you. All right. So next item on the agenda is to uh, is to discuss the uh, 2021 MMTC goal to measure the progress of the board and uh, with an action of determining next steps to move this goal forward. So okay. in your packet, you had, uh, you know, Part of a, at our retreat, we uh, included um, really looking at the bylaws, looking at the ordinance, and then another one in terms of uh, really measuring our performance and, and progress towards those goals and towards the goals that are identified in the well specifically in the in the ordinance. And so, you know, what we wanted to do with you know since this is September and we're getting down to the end of, you know, don't have very many meetings before the end of the year is to look at, you know, what process we can use um, uh, to, to review those and to, to make sure that we're making progress or that we can, that we can quantify in some way the progress that we've made towards those goals. Um, I'll mention that, you know, basically I've gone through the bylaws and the, and the ordinance and, um, you know, there aren't, particularly in the bylaws, I didn't see anything that, you know, looked inconsistent with the work that we're doing. And on the ordinance in terms of, you know, because the bylaws don't mention specifically responsibilities. Um, on, the, on the ordinance, there are a list of responsibilities. And the only, one of the things that I noted in that uh, was, perhaps um, kind of calling out a little more specifically the equity piece of it and also a little more specifically safety, um, you know, 
pedestrian bike uh, safety because um, it's it's kind of in a you know not in a very explicit way. Now that's you know that may still not need to be changed, but um, um, you know something that we might want to look at. And then um, the third piece of it is in terms of um, of our performance and looking at those um, those different goals and objectives that we set at our at our retreat and um, you know going through those to uh, to kind of document the the areas that we've made progress on and I've done a little bit of that work along the way um, by adding um, action taken as a as another column in that in that you know matrix and adding um, actions or steps that we've taken as far as study sessions or other other um, uh, you know, other actions to include in that. It's not, it's not complete. And, you know, I think and it needs more work in, in order to provide us with some decent feedback. So one possibility that I thought of would be for, you know, just a, a small group of uh, two or three to get together uh, and kind of just go through those and, you know, and, and flesh that out a little bit more, bring those recommendations you know, in terms of the bylaws and the ordinance back um, to the commission, as well as, um, you know, basically a report out of, of the actions that we've taken and whether, um, you know, that the rest of the commission could review and, and, uh, and uh, make suggestions if, if there's been something missed or that we need to need to add to it. So I don't know if, if anyone else has some some ideas about how how we might handle this or you know what your recommendations would be i do have one volunteer steve said he wasn't going to be able to make the meeting or thought if he was it might be late and he's he volunteered to uh to to look at that so um and i'm i'm certainly willing um to do that too so maybe if there was one other person who might be willing to take a look at that and we could, you know, make a first stab on our own and then get together. And I would just anticipate maybe one meeting of, of, of working on that. Any, any thoughts or volunteers? <laughs> This is Commissioner Brian, MMTC. I would, I was kind of interested in learning a little bit more about the measures that are being, I guess, monitored related to the strategic plan. Mm -hmm. And I looked at that list and I found a few things that seemed related to our work and wondered um, kind of what's the current status. <clears throat> For example, there's a under outcome two strong and welcoming neighbor, neighborhoods. Under equity and inclusion, there's a percent of residential units within a half mile of a walking biking trail. Uh, kind of curious what we can do about that one. Outcome three, safe and secure. There's a equity and inclusion measure that states variance of satisfaction with perceptions of safety by race, gender, education, and income. I'm curious about that in relation to transportation. I don't know if that's even possible, mm -hmm. but I imagine that 
safety might be a factor for some people, especially with regard to bicycling, um, possibly pedestrian safety um, in certain parts of the community. And uh, perhaps there's some safety concerns around use of transit. So that one, I don't know what the measure is and how it's monitored, but it'd be interesting to see if it could be kind of looked at through a lens of transportation. And then outcome five, connected city. There's an <clears throat> equity and inclusion measure, percent of sidewalks and shared use paths in compliance with ADA. And that one feels like maybe a pretty straightforward one that we could at least be aware of and track our progress on. Mm -hmm. There's a, on the, uh, this is Pecolette, the on the dashboard, um, those per performance measures that are in those, there's several different categories. So transit, uh, I think it's bike ped, safety, um, you know, several different measures there that I think are m most of those from those, that strategic plan, I think are addressed or some of those anyway are addressed in that dashboard um, on, um, uh, on the on the website and, and the, you can get the transportation 2040 yeah yeah I, I hadn't cross-referenced that but i think where you're going though is let's at least examine what exists currently mm -hmm. and see which of these you know we see are having some role to right. play that does feel like an appropriate first step mm -hmm. I would yeah, wonder is, then what is missing, you know, in terms of what our bylaws say our role is, and is there anything, any way to create a metric that helps to track that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, I think one of the things is, is just what you said in terms of, you know, suggestions for metrics that, you know, when we look at those, when we overlay all of those, you know, is there a metric missing that would be <clears> helpful in terms of looking, looking at progress and, um, so that would be a, another another dimension there. Yeah, this is Dave Cronus, the engineer. If I could jump in, I could think I can answer Commissioner Bryan's uh, questions on the key performance indicators. So we've um, through the strategic plan um, identified these uh, indicators under these outcome areas. So um, we do not yet have uh, published. Um, benchmarks or targets yet. So those are being developed. Um, and so where we're at now and where we want to get to um, and uh, those metrics, those are um, those are still to be determined. So um, we don't have that currently, but um, as Commissioner Brian mentioned on some of the one specific ones, um, they are you know related to multimodal transportation and um, will be um, metrics to identify making progress in some of those areas. So, so we have um, these key performance indicators in the strategic plan. Um, they're not, um, some may be similar to performance measures in our transportation plan, but certainly there's um, a much more comprehensive list of measures in our transportation plan that of performance measures that, that we're using. So. Um, yeah, there could be, uh, you know, part of this conversation is, it, is there anything that we're not measuring that you feel is important uh, going forward um, in either of these areas? And that's, I understand we don't have all of them 
targets yet for the in the strategic plan, but we do have some targets of performance measures in our transportation plan. This is this is Pat Collette, Chair. Um, even without the the benchmarks, um, is, do you have the you know just the the raw data in terms of reporting out on those on those uh, different um, elements of the of the key performance indicators? So I know that in the transportation plan it says you know either you know a hard and fast number that you're shooting for or a trend line uh, with that particular. Um, indicator, but um, at this point, do you have just the the measurements without the targets, or are you still developing that that data? This is Dave Crone, city engineer. I think it's some of them. Um, the benchmarks may have been; they're all in progress. So some of them may have been identified, and some are still a work in progress. And so there's a a number of staff members. Um, that are working on these um, or kind of broken out into outcome areas and so they're in different different stages of development i would say i've on the safe welcoming neighborhoods um, group um, and so i think uh, we don't have anything that we could share at this point but it's work that's ongoing okay so in terms of our work um you know, like Charlie mentioned, is you know bringing that into the review of, of data that we're interested in. Is it? Do you see it possible to you know begin this work you know with the with the information that we have right now, and then fold in those key performance indicators as we as we identify um, you know the the elements that are of interest to uh, to the commission. Or does that need to happen first? I guess is my question. Uh, Dave Cronin, the engineer. I don't necessarily think it needs to happen first. I think um, you know there's there's a few um, indicators that are multimodal transportation related. There's a lot, probably more in our transportation plan that that we've been measuring progress for for a long time. And Jessica might be able to speak to that a little more. But so we've tracked performance in a number of areas. And I think that may, may relate a little better towards, well, to this group for measuring progress. Um, of course, there's progress that you can make in policies too that drive the data, mm -hmm. but you know, this is mainly data-based uh, metrics, uh, particularly with what we um, track in our transportation plan, I guess. I'd ask Jessica, is there, if, if you have any additional info that would help, that would, that would be great. So Jessica Mortinger, Transportation Planning Manager. So our last long range plan was the first time ever we did performance based planning where we have performance measures included. So you'll see we're starting to get multiple years of the data sets. And I think that's where you start to get a lot of value um, in data in, in performance-based planning is when you start to have multi-years of data and you can understand how stuff is moving. Some of the things like Charlie mentioned where the strategic plan has freight, remember these are made up of staff, those strategic plan committees and each subject area is made up of staff teams that are not all subject area experts. They're very multifaceted. So the way they've worded some of the 
measures, we're going to have to, I think, work on the back end to determine how that's actually calculated. So the one Charlie read first off, that's a percentage of residential units in, um, in proximity to uh, hiking, white walking trails. Um, well, that's technically measured in the bikeway plan. If you look at it as a, or in T2040 in both, uh, if you look at it where we talk about a percentage of um, people within a, a certain mile access, here, I can sh just show you. Uh, we have that, here, just, just give me a second, but we have that measure. We just word it, we have it worded in a different way. We worded a shared use path. So I'm not sure if when they do that calculation, so here's here's this chart, what you're seeing basically is that measure we have in the plan, people who have a quarter mile access, that's residential units, it's the way we can calculate it the, by percentage, who have with level of comfort to the bikeway network. So shared use path. So currently, Lawrence, based on this data set, you're at 51%. And for environmental justice zones at the time, you're at 36%. Um, and then you can see that for the total network too. So some of those things, we have this data, it's just about how they decide to draw the boundaries and define the data sets to calculate. Let me, and, and part of that will be kind of fascinating. In the strategic plan for progress indicators, if you pay particular attention to connected city, there's this percentage of residents satisfied or very satisfied with the experience of various transportation modes. This was actually a question we asked in the last transportation 2040 plan development, um, but it wasn't uh, statistically significant. So this is going to be a particular measure where when Dave talks about they're in different phases of development, this is going to have to be multiple new questions that are added to the statistically significant ETC survey that the city does. And so some of these measures, and this is part of the work the staff is doing now, is trying to gather about is we think this is the measure to track progress under these areas, under these commitment areas through each outcome area. And some of it there is data existing for, like percentage of trips not taken in an automobile. This is a census divine data set. It's also something we track in T2040. Um, miles of trails. If depending on how they define trails in this situation for the strategic plan, does that include just eight foot shared use path, eight foot plus shared use path if that's the case because you want to consider accessibility and it doesn't or doesn't include off-road dirt trails. So there's a bunch of, I think, caveats that determine whether or not the measure, how it's going to get reported in here and defined versus how it's already defined in Transportation 2040. I think the other thing that'll be interesting to see too is we start to track um, stuff and I'll I have this on the other staff items, so it's kind of a uh, pref uh, preface to that, but is, you know, level of comfort. We talked about that. We have the level of comfort from 2019 in this in the, in the bikeway plan. It's not in T2040 because that got developed after T2040. It could be something we develop in the future. So you can see um, how many miles of each type of infrastructure exist um, in 2019 at each level, each comfort level. Um, and you can see that in 2021, um, and you'll, you can start to see the difference, both the increase in amenities by type, but also the change in comfort based on things like the neighborhood traffic management program, which had speed, uh, neighborhood speed reductions to 25. That because the level of comforts based on posted speed and volumes and um, volumes from our model, um, you can, we'll start to see some of that and be able to track that progress. So I think there's, 
a lot of caveats about the data and what comes first. I think there's a lot of information available to you already in the MPO planning processes, whether that be T2040 or the bike plan. Um, and I think the strategic plan is taking a different angle on it because it's not just looking at transportation. So in, in relation to the perceptions of safety one, as far as I know, if that question doesn't say transportation, the conversation has not been about transportation safety. The conversation has been about probably physical or personal safety. And so those are things where that plan is talking about a lot more, it's a more holistic performance-based plan um, that's looking at a lot of competing values and interests. And so um, that's one where I think there could, you could weigh in on that. You could also, we could also have conversations about if there's other things that aren't in T2040 that are things we'd like to track, how would we go about doing that? Oftentimes, in that process, we've we've studied best practices for what we can track. We get caught often in is the data available to us? How expensive is it? Is, do you have to purchase it? What does it look like to maintain it? It takes us an extraordinary amount of time to do that uh, planning. So my, my recommendation to you would be to try to work through these planning processes or these other performance-based plannings, whether that even be the community health improvement plan has, has many target measures, some of which relate back to transportation and access, some of which are similar to T2040, some of them aren't. But if you don't understand where the data is coming from and how what it's actually trying to tell us, then it's you have to really spend some time with it. Otherwise, you could be measuring similar things, but get very different answers. Commissioner Brian, MMTC. Uh, I just wanted to point out, I was looking at the community health plan as well, because I knew there were some measures in there related to access uh, through transportation. The Safe Routes to School programs, which we have been supporting for many years. Uh, those are in the community health plan. It looks as if the Lawrence School District's uh, walking and biking rates have finally exceeded the goal that was set. So that's good news. Um, I think similar to the city's strategic plan and T2040, there are you know multiple plans in the community and it would, I think, be really useful if we could kind of connect those to what we think is our work so that we can be paying attention and be aware of at least of the work being done throughout the community that's related to our scope. Um, one thing that we might be able to bring uniquely to that community conversation about equity is using the transportation disadvantaged population scores to maybe add another layer to these um, metrics. <clears throat> In Jessica's little presentation there with the T2040 measures, she shows the EJ uh, measure, which is a subset of the entire county. And I think it would be interesting to also know what that score looks like for the transportation disadvantage areas for example. So maybe there's a way that we can take, you know, an element of the city's strategic plan scorecard and further dissect it by adding that, you know, maybe that's only for us, but maybe we can also share that. So I think, for example, 
you know, percent of sidewalks and shared use paths in compliance. I'd like to see that, not citywide, but citywide plus in the transportation disadvantage areas. I think that could be interesting to look at. And Charlie, Jessica Morton for Transportation Planning Manager. Charlie, that's something I'm having conversations internally with MSO staff about the availability to do as part of the pedestrian plan. So now that we are using that transportation disadvantaged data populations data set, and if that's the move, motion we want to move forward to really try to impact people with vulnerable transportation um, needs, then I think that's, as far as the MPO is concerned, we will move forward to try to use that in all of our existing condition analyses to start to tell the story about where we believe there might be disparity to target resources to some of the most vulnerable people who have, you know, have the most need for multimodal uh, trip making. There's some information on the access to healthy food uh, goal area for the community health plan. I think when we think about why people need transportation, um, access to food is critical. And probably we need to be more aware of that as a commission so that we can you know make better decisions if it supports um, efforts in the community to improve transportation to those destinations. Charlie, I'd point out, Jessica Morton, your transportation planning manager, I'd point out that in the strategic plan under environmental sustainability uh, area of the outcome to strong and welcoming neighborhoods, there is a measure for connectivity of healthy food providers by transit, bike routes, and sidewalk. I'm not sure yet how that's going to be measured, but they're looking at it. Thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, I would say that just at, you know, first review of what the city's strategic plan is, it, there's a pretty significant number of these measures that relate that we should, you know, feel a connection to. So I think this is going to be exciting to see the city build this out. And, you know, maybe there's some way that we can kind of review on a regular basis the ones that we kind of earmark as transportation related. Okay, so that being said, is there anyone else who would like to volunteer for to for the subcommittee to take a first crack at at, um, at reviewing these? You know, I think the first crack is the you know really the internal uh, processes and then moving into the performance measures and identifying the things that are out there that you know that would relate to to our to our commission. This is Commissioner Brian. I'd be happy to be on a committee okay. for that. Great. Thanks. Well, I'll get in touch sometime in the next week or so. We can set up a, a time to get to get together. All right. I hear courts looking for something to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's, um, well, do we, I guess we need to take some action on, on that to establish the subcommittee. Is that right, Dave? We, should we establish that subcommittee with, with those as members? Yeah, this is Dave Crones, the engineer. Um, if you'd like to establish a committee, I would 
recommend taking an action on it and um, specifying what uh, the the committee's reviewing. Okay. Great. Well, um, so I, I guess I'll I'll move to um, establish a subcommittee um, on performance measures and um, and um, MMTC documents for for review. Uh, which will include bylaws, um, the ordinance, and um, the action plan for the uh, strategic plan, or for the actually the, for our individual action plan, and then finally performance measures from the city and other relevant um, docu planning documents um, with membership of myself, Charlie Bryan, and um, Steve Evans. Is there a second? Commissioner Bryan, I'll second that. Okay. Uh, all in favor, uh, have a roll call. Let's see, Charlie Bryan second it. And Gregory Critchlow. Agree. Court Buffington. Yes. Aaron Payton. Yes. And Charlie Bryan. Yes. Yes. All right. Motion carried. All right. Thank you. Okay. Let's move on to staff items. Staff item uh, number one, the 2021 Neighborhood Traffic Management Plan update. This Dustin Smith with MSO and uh, wanted to bring you an update with the neighborhood traffic management program. Uh, we've got several pieces of it that are in motion right now. So uh, I'll uh, start off with the neighborhood traffic management pilot program. I, I have to think to remember that name every time. But so we had the application process open for the uh, neighborhoods to apply to be part of the pilot program this year. And uh, our selection committee reviewed the applications and like to announce that we selected Old West Lawrence as our neighborhood that we're going to study as, as part of the pilot this year. Um, so moving forward in the next several weeks, we'll be uh, coordinating with the neighborhood representatives and our design consultant to uh, determine locations and treatment types for installation of temporary traffic calming devices. And then uh, we'll follow up that installation with the evaluation of the effectiveness of the temporary traffic calming devices and use that results of the evaluation to inform our uh, what types and locations for uh, permanent traffic calming devices that would be installed as part of the 2022 Neighborhood Traffic Management Program. Uh, next item of the program that's in progress is our uh, fall relaunch of the Safer Speeds campaign. Um, again, targeted at students as they're returning to town for in-person classes uh, and get a plug in for anyone who'd like to help promote the campaign by uh, uh, using uh, the materials we have available, yard signs, posters, et cetera, or available to pick up on a walk-in basis at the three of the rec centers. Um, 
And the final item that we have uh, still is the ongoing uh, targeted speed enforcement with the police department. Uh, we'll, we have uh, dedicated funding to continue the uh, targeted enforcement through the end of this year. And uh, the uh, data on the enforcement will be included in the uh, final report for the uh, campaign as that, that the two were, um, you know, intended to, to complement each other. So we'll have that data in the report. Uh, and that's, uh, that's the update on the program. I'll take any questions if you have them. This is Commissioner Brian, MMTC. I'd like to hear a little bit more about the selection of Old West Lawrence. And um, for example, like how many neighborhoods submitted um, what, you know, it, given it's the first year, I'm just kind of curious how it went and if you were satisfied with the number of applicants in, in the process. Uh, I, this is Dustin Smith with MSO. I would say I was um, surprised that we only had two applications for this first year, um, but both um, applications were, were strong um, and it, it was a a difficult decision because um, both apl applicants did, um, you know, do a good job of, of kind of following the, the, the intended process with the application was, you know, they both showed strong, you know, broad-based support from the neighborhood to be part of the program. Um, they had organized um, rep representatives repre representation that that would be able to um speak for the neighborhood make decisions um so but we did we did um uh end up selecting old west lawrence um I, i'm i'm Thinking back on on if there was a real kind of key deciding factor, other than maybe just a, a little uh, stronger uh, organization, with they had a, an established uh, traffic traffic management team as part of their neighborhood association that is already kind of um, looking at at traffic concerns from the the residents and the neighborhood association and. And uh, working with that established uh, entity, uh, hopefully, will make the the pilot year go a little smoother. Thank you for sharing that. Yep. Any other questions of Dustin? All right. Thank you, Dustin. Um, let's move on to the next item, the Lawrence Bikes Plan Performance Measure Update. And I think we began that discussion a little bit earlier, but... Uh, um, it, this is Dave Cronin, City Engineer. <clears throat> We're going to provide this update on next month's agenda. I had it on here as a placeholder, and 
did not remove it before I published the agenda. So we will bring this back um, in October and we will link it uh, to the uh, agenda. Great, thank you. Um, how about um, PTAC update? I don't know if we have, we don't have Carol or uh, Nick on. Um, I don't know if we have anyone that can provide update on that, maybe not. Craig Critzel with uh, MTC. Uh, the only update that I have last meeting was uh, a another presentation from the um, of the uh, transit stop, the mm -hmm. two transit stops that are in uh, design process right now, um, and then addressing some feedback from uh, some of the uh, retail or commercial. Um, occupants on, especially on Massachusetts Street, um, and trying to uh, understand their concerns. Because um, there, at this point, doesn't seem to be a lot of favor of it. So understanding concerns and figuring out a way to uh, be able to uh, present the project in a way that um, it, it is a positive way for the city to evolve. Mm -hmm. But um, so that was that was the main discussion uh, at the last two times. Great, thank you. Any other questions of Gregory about that? All right, thank you. Um, so the transit route redesign committee update, same same thing, I think, with with that. So I think we're ready to move on to the calendar. Yes, is Dave. Well, Coons. I guess maybe any other commission items, actually. Yep. Does anyone have any other items they'd like to bring forward tonight? Okay, I don't see any. So let's move on to the calendar. All right, uh, Dave Cronin, city engineer. Um, looking ahead, um, October 4th is our next meeting. Um, the study session, we're going to have uh, Jasmine Moore uh, come and discuss sustainability in coordination with transportation. That was an area of our uh, work plan this year for the board, and one of the goals was uh, coordination of sustainability. I believe um, there's going to be a survey coming out soon in regards to uh, going forward with the climate action plan that Jasmine's going to come speak to for the study session. Um, so we'll be plugging that in uh, on the 4th. And then um, we had uh, indicated uh, we would bring the walkers to drive concept plans for review. Um, so we're uh, right now proceeding with the design of that. Um, not sure if we will have that ready or not for the fourth, but we have it as a placeholder. If not, that would likely be pushed to November. Um, we do expect to have a presentation on the South Orange Traffic Way West Leg improvements, particularly the improvements related to the connection of city streets and bike pet improvements that would be uh, completed with that project, that project including uh, expansion of K10 uh, between Iowa and uh, 
the uh, turnpike at I-70 uh, to four lanes. Um, and so there's interchange improvements and, and um, that will also uh, include uh, multimodal improvements. Um, so we would like to get some feedback on those plans uh, at next month's meeting. And um, my understanding is there, um, these would be like the, the field checker 50% stage plan. So we can um, have a relatively good understanding of uh, what, what, what the plans are. Um, still have a couple more years to go for uh, proceeding with, uh, with getting final plans on that project. So a lot of work to do, but wanted to get that out as early as we could just to get uh, a review of that and get some get some feedback. Um, so that is what we anticipate for October. Um, and we've indicated a few items for the regular meeting in November, um, the Lawrence Loop uh, plans. Um, and uh, wanted to maybe have a early discussion or, or presentation on what projects that would be uh, that are in the 2022 capital improvement plan um, after that gets approved. Um, so we had that as a placeholder and then trying to bring this street maintenance plan for next year um, a little earlier than we have in the past. So we're going to attempt to do that in November. Uh, with that, I would Stand for any questions. Any questions of Dave? Uh, Charlie Bryan, MMTC Commissioner. <clears throat> On the future study session topics list, the land use and transportation best practices is just kind of hanging out there. And I was wondering, I know you guys are working on something related to that. Is there any update on that? This is Dave Cronin, city engineer. Um, don't have an update yet. We're still getting the team and the scope of that study together. Um, I would anticipate November, or December, that could be a study session item for uh, providing an update of that of that uh, planning process. So um, it's just getting underway. Um, and so, but we do uh, anticipate bringing that back before the end of the year uh, to get an update on where we're at with that. Thank you. This is Commissioner Klett. Um, Dave, is that is that effort led by uh, by MSO or is it the MPO um, that's that's leading it, or is it a joint joint effort on that? Yeah, this is Dave Cronin, City Engineer. It is an MPO study. It's being led by the um, MPO Technical Advisory Committee, okay. which includes um, members of MSO and MPO and other community. Uh, that are in the NPO. So, okay. great. Yeah, because I know on our on our goals for this year was a second meeting with NPO, and that you know that may stand as as that second. Um, or do you see that as standing it for for that second NPO uh, meeting you know, in terms of getting that input from the land use plan? Um, Dave Cronus, the engineer, I guess I'm uh, unclear on our goal for meeting with the MPO. Are you, um, it was a joint meeting, I think, and we had on the goals that we would do that twice a year. We did that once earlier, and I think was that April, maybe. Um, so 
So I just didn't know if. if yeah, we met with the planning commission. So. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Sorry. So that we did have uh, that on our list of goals for two meetings with the planning commission. Um, so we've, yeah, we've done one of those. We have not done a second. Okay. Yeah, we're running out of out a year, I guess. So <laughs> get as many of these um, addresses as we, as we possibly can. But yeah, there's a good good lot of work there. All right. Any other questions of Dave about the calendar? Uh, the next meeting is October 4th. So we'll be back on to our regular Monday um, uh, timeframe for the, for the uh, meeting. So can I entertain a motion uh, to adjourn? Yes, Commissioner Bryan, I move to adjourn. All right. Is there a second? Okay, second by Gregory. Um, all in favor, raise your hands. It looks like it's unanimous. All right, thanks everyone.